It's, uh, it's good to have you here this morning. If you weren't here last week, we started, we've been starting a series in uh, 1 John. We did an introduction. If you weren't here, shame on you. Where were you? Um, we're going we're gonna to walk through this book together of 1 John. I'm excited to dive into this thing. It's got some amazing truths. And John is just going just gonna to hit us here in chapter 1 um, with some incredible truths of how do we as believers walk with our God? What does it mean um, to, to walk with him in intimacy and in a meaningful way? So let's just dive in here. We've got a lot to get through this morning. Last summer, I went on a baseball trip, as many of you know, saw 30 stadiums in the course of three months. Um, had a house guest yesterday say, man, to do all that, you must be pretty rich. I said, yes, I am rich. I'm very rich. And uh, so on, on this tour, got to see all the ballparks, and, and um, in particular, went to Baltimore uh, my favorite team, the Orioles, where they play. And my dad joined me for a few games. He was there. This is a, a tour we got of the stadium. We went b- kind of behind the scenes. And, and this is us in, in the, the home team's dugout, taking a picture here. Um, now, this is, is my father, Theodore Scott Franchino, right? I am his son, Justin, not Theodore, not bitter, Franchino, right? So, so he is my father. I am his son. Got that? Now, nothing will ever change that. I could do everything in my power. I could dye my hair. I could get a nose job. I could move to a different country. Nothing in this world will separate the fact, will alter the fact that he is my father and I am a son. Now, if I had chosen a different path growing up and I'd been an extremely disobedient child, been a wayward teen, angsty, getting piercings and tattoos and rebellious, and, and I move out of the house and I, and, I, and I never talk to my father again, we fall on hard terms and, and no longer going forward do we have any communication whatsoever. No holidays, no phone calls, no existing relationship. Is he still my father? Am I still his son? Yes, he is, and yes, I am, and yet we do not have what we would call fellowship. And today what we want to look at is there is a difference between relationship and fellowship. These are two different concepts. The relationship is the fact that I am Scott's son, and he is my father, and that can never change. But the fellowship would be an ongoing, open, intimate, communicative relationship with him And that can change. And in this book, John is going to be talking to believers about life as believers. And that's a very important context for us to understand. Because in chapter 1, John is not going to be explaining to us how to enter into a relationship with God. He's going to be telling us as believers how we walk forward as believers in fellowship, in intimate relationship with that God. And this is an important distinction because many, many Christians, they live lives where they believe that sin breaks our relationship with God. I'm here to tell you this morning that sin cannot and it does not break our relationship with God. 
Just like sinlessness didn't get us into a relationship with God, it cannot get us back out of a relationship with God. And many Christians live in defeat and fear and insecurity because of confusion on this fact. And we live in this kind of grading system where it's like, if I do enough good things, God will continue to love me. I will continue to be his son. But if I fail, then he dismisses me from the family. And that's going to lead you to one of two places. It's going to lead you to hypocrisy where you pretend that you're good, you fake that you're good to other people and to God when you know that you're bad, or you will understand how bad you are, and it takes you to a place of hopelessness and despair and depression. Sin does not break our relationship, but it does break fellowship. And that is not something to take lightly. You see, my dad brought me into the world, not just, oh, so the world can have a Justin. There you go. Now get out of here. Dad, I'm still in diapers. I don't care. Get out of the house. Right? No, he created me so that he could know me as his son and I could know him as my father. And we could have an intimate relationship. My father created me to know me. And in the same way, our heavenly father created us for intimate relationship with us. And then he redeemed us when we walked away from us so that he could walk with us. And you look at the Old Testament with Adam and Eve. You look at Enoch. You look at Abraham, the, the people of Israel. Time and time again, God is pursuing an ongoing intimate relationship with his people. And now this scares many believers. Because really, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we're a lot more comfortable keeping God in a box. Keeping him a place, kind of stiff-arming him, keeping him at arm's length in a place where we can kind of use him like a vending machine and just press the buttons when we, when we need him and when we want something from him. But to enter into this relationship where we're walking with him, where we're talking with him, that's messy. It also implies that in this relationship with God that he leads us. If he's God, we're his creation. If he's our father, we're his son. And that's scary. We've got major commitment issues as believers. But there is no sweeter place to be. And from the beginning, for both our sake and his sake, God created us for relationship with him. And so right out of the box here in chapter 1, John is going to explain to us how to walk in fellowship with God. We're going to see two things this morning. Number one, who it is that we need for fellowship. And number two, what it is that we need for fellowship. So here we go. Um, Remember, fellowship from last week, uh, if you're here for the introduction, um, fellowship is something shared in common with another. Fellowship is something shared in common with another. So to have fellowship, to have a relationship with somebody, you have to share something in common. If we don't speak the same language, it's going to be more difficult to have fellowship. The less we have in common, the harder it is to have a relationship. The more we have in common, the easier it is to have a relationship. So what is it that we have in common with God? What is it that allows us to have a relationship with him? Now, it's a lot easier for me to think about all the things that I do not have in common with God. That list is much longer, right? He's God. I'm clearly not, right? God is, is, is perfect. I am very, very imperfect. God is eternal. I'm a vapor. God is wise. I'm an idiot, right? Like, we, there's a lot that God and I don't have in common. But, but the one thing, the one all-important, life-changing thing that he and I share in common is not actually a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And, and, and God's one and only precious son 
happens to be my Redeemer, my Savior and Lord, my friend. You see, Jesus is the basis of all fellowship with God and with others. Hear me on this. We cannot have a real, meaningful relationship with God without Jesus. And we cannot have real, meaningful relationships with each other without Jesus. Everything else is phony. It's a game. The only true access we have to each other is through the man Jesus. And so what we're going to see here, four things here in the introduction that, that, that unpacks this thing of Jesus needing for fellowship. First of all, our fellowship involves a person. Verse 1, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Remember we said John, there's no introduction here. He just jumps straight into it. John launches into the greatest starting point you could find. He starts with Jesus. And I love this. John immediately comes out swinging again the Gnostics. Remember last week we talked about this heresy called Gnosticism? It was this belief that Jesus couldn't be a man because all material, including humans, is evil and all spiritual is good so that when Jesus died, he just died as a man. He wasn't God. And we saw how that just wrecks the gospel. Immediately John says, no, no, no. I was there. I'm telling you. I saw him. I heard him. I touched the man Jesus. He was fully God and he was fully man. I can witness that because I hugged him. I know this man. He was in the flesh and he was God. Fellowship with God involves the real person right now up at the right hand of God. Jesus is in the flesh. He's not just a floating spirit. He's in a body. And this body embodying the Son of God is the one that we know for fellowship with God. Number two, it involves a possession. Verse two, this one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. Uh, last week, I was driving my car um, down and through Soldatna, and as I was passing over the bridge, the whole dashboard just went out, and then my car, just the engine and everything, just stopped working on the bridge in Soldatna in the summer during tourism season in the rush of the salmon, and I'm like, this is going to be the biggest pileup in Soldatna history, but at least I'm part of something big, right? So, so as the car is slowing to a stall, luckily I was able to coast just past the bridge and get into the visitor center. So there I am, and now I'm parked, and I got nothing, right? The alternators, it turns out, the alternator was out, which apparently uh, my limited mechanical knowledge now includes that if the alternator doesn't work, the battery doesn't work, and if the battery doesn't work, your car can't run, okay? Now, this is a great car. Well, it's not a great car. I actually really want to sell it. But for this illustration, it's a great car, okay? But if this car... If it can't run, if there's no life in it, then it's useless, right? It's just a really expensive piece of metal that I can store things in or sleep in during the summer, which I've done before. But because, and because my mechanical skills are about as useful as a doorpost, there was nothing I could do to bring life into this car. I needed to give it to somebody else so they could put life in my car for me. And in the same way... That's us when we entered into this world. Sinners with no life in us. No meaningful way to please God, to love other people. We were void of anything that could allow us to move and dance and live and love the way God intended. But the gospel 
is that we gave this useless corpse to another and he put life inside of us. And what this verse says, he says that who, the one, the man Jesus, is life itself. He is the one who is eternal life. And the beautiful truth this morning, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus is our life. It's not just a mystical force that we obtain. Jesus Christ, the man Jesus, is the one within us who allows us to move and dance and live and love as he's called us to do. It's a person that we possess as life. And then see, it involves a position. John says, we proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see how he referred to God Almighty, the one who lives in unapproachable light, that we would fall down dead in his presence if we were to dare walk into it? He calls him Father. He calls him Daddy. And if Jesus is his son, that means he's my brother. And all of us sitting in this room today who have entered into that relationship are intimate siblings. When we accept Jesus, the person, as our possession of life, we are given this incredible position to know God as daddy and to know Jesus as our brother and to know each other in an intimate way that we could never outside of him. This is the position we've been given Jesus is our fellowship that ushers us into this beautiful, loving family. And then finally, D, it involves a privilege. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Remember we said last week, this joy. He says, I'm writing this so that you will share in our joy. This is not circumstance-depending, temporary happiness that depends on what's going on today. This is all transcending joy, and it can only come from walking with God and walking with each other in community with him. Everything else in your life, in my life, is meaningless. It will not scratch that itch. It will not give you what you're looking for. It will not satisfy you outside of a relationship, an ongoing intimate walk with the Father. But what's interesting here is I think John specifically is saying, he says, my joy is complete when I see others, when I see you, dear children, walking with God. See, another way that this has been translated is to make our joy complete. You make our joy complete when we see you walking with God. See, as believers, nothing should get us more jacked up. Nothing should excite and thrill our hearts more than when we see somebody else, when we see a believer walking with God listening to God, obeying God, falling on Jesus as their source of everything. Because that's love. Love desires and aims for the best for another over your interest of your own. And there's nothing that we should, that more purely desire for another that they would know and love Jesus. And in knowing and loving Jesus, there's a walk with God. So are you in Christ this morning? Do you know him? Do you, do you know that person? Do you possess him as life, privileged in the position as God's son, Jesus' brother? And do you have the joy of walking with him and seeing others enter into that same relationship? This letter was written so that you and I would know now, today, that we have this life, Jesus' life, and that we are walking with God the Gnostics said, oh, you need this super secret knowledge. And John says, no, you just need to know Jesus. 
And so John's going to show us what this walk looks like. So who we need for fellowship is Jesus. Jesus is our joy. What, what we need for fellowship, though, is what John's going to address next. And what we're going to see here is there is this standard in verse 5. It says, here's the bar, okay? Then, and then 6 and 7, this is what we need to do to, to measure up to this bar of what it looks like to walk in the light. And then finally in, in verses 8 through the beginning of chapter 2, he's going to say, now this is how we do it. Here's the bar, here's what we need to do, and this is how we do it, okay? And how he's going to show it to us is through a, three, a series of if-but-ifs. He's going to say, if this, bad. But if this, good. All right, don't do this. Do that. not this, th- this. All right, you with me? Here we go. So, the standard, verse 5. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. The standard is that God is light. I had Ian kind of bring up this spotlight for me this morning to kind of symbolize, give you a, a word picture of, of light versus darkness. Now here I am in the light. Good morning, church. Here I am over here in the darkness. You can barely see. I can do whatever I want over here. You have no idea, right? Light, dark, right? Light, Dark, you guys with me? All right, so now, so what is the purpose of light? Like, why, why light? Why is that helpful? God did that right out of the gates. Let there be light. And he says here, God is light. So what's the purpose of light? Light is, there's, it's a twofold purpose. Number one, have you ever turned on the bathroom light first thing in the morning, right? And you, you wake up, and you're, you're groggy, you have that weird pasty stuff in your eyeballs still, the gunk from when you were sleeping, and for some reason in that moment, that bathroom light in your house just happens to be the brightest light that you own. And you turn it on, and it's just, you know, and it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And as you get that sleep out of your eyes and you open them and you see in the mirror, you see some things that you can't unsee, right? Like, I have crow's feet? Like, where did that pockmark come from? Like, what is, when, what is that, right? Like, you have moles the size of small African nations that you didn't even know about. Like, I, a couple weeks ago, I, I found I, I, I wear socks, usually, but when the sock was off and the light was exposing it, I saw that I had a wart on my ankle, which I'm sure you all were just dying to know. Even just the word wart is gross. Wart. Um, wouldn't have seen that if not for the light. So the light it exposes things for what they really are. It exposes you for who you really are. That's purpose number one. Purpose number two, have you ever walked from point A to point B in pitch black? Like no matter where you are, you could be in the most familiar setting. You could be in your house walking from your living room to the bathroom or the, or the bedroom. And what is typically just a casual stroll through the house, when it's pitch black, that becomes the gauntlet of doom right? All of a sudden, like, it's your shin's worst nightmare, and there's furniture, like, that was where the ottoman was? Are you kidding me? And you're stepping on toys, and there's just all sorts of terror and chaos just to move from one room in your house to another. Two reasons for light. Number one, it exposes you for who you really are, and number two, it shows you how to get where you want to go. Here's the point. God is light, Meaning God is the standard of what is true and right and good and holy. And this verse says that in him there is no darkness at all. 
there's no darkness, that, that God is only light, that over here God cannot exist because it's darkness, and God is only in the light. And, and here's what happens. Proverbs 1, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so here's, here's what Solomon's saying. As we come to know him, as we come to step into the light where he is, two things happen. Number one, we are exposed for who we really are. And number two, we can finally see the path of where he's taking us. And that's to him. So the standard is God. God is in the light over here, all right? So the second thing, what we need to do then in light, in light of that. <laughs> number verse six. Uh, that was wordplay, guys. You can laugh. So we are lying. Here's the first if, but if. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. It says, if we claim to be living, to be walking with God, but we are actually walking in the dark, we're lying. This is very straightforward. John makes it crystal clear. You cannot be walking in the light and the darkness at the same time. And Ian, you can just leave that light down. I'll, I'll, unless, can you guys see me still? When I, bring that? All right. I just like that better. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, there is this inherent contrast with light and dark, right? It's light over here. It's dark over here. Now, when I'm, when I'm here, I'm in the light, and when I'm here, I'm in the darkness. Now, if the, if the light was to move, if we were rich enough, we could have this thing move on command, and the spotlight could come over here. Now, when the spotlight would be here, the darkness isn't here anymore, right? It's light. Wherever there's light, there's not darkness, and wherever there's darkness, there's not light. There's an inherent contrast between light and darkness. So he says, if you claim that you're walking with God in the light, but you're actually over here in the dark, you're lying, it's not possible to walk in the light and walk in the darkness at the same time. And darkness, of course, in this illustration, is pretty synonymous with what it means to walk in sin. So when John says this, he's in, specifically in 1 John, he talks about desiring the things that the world desires. Being duped that those things are actually better than what God offers. He says walking in the darkness means hating a brother and sister as opposed to loving them. So he says when you walk in the darkness you're obviously not walking the light. And so then in verse 7, he says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So again, very straightforward. If we're over here where God is, we're walking with him. It's only in the light that we can walk with God or walk with others who are walking in the light. He says, that's where you're experiencing the cleansing power of Jesus but if you're over here in the darkness, if you're sinning, then you're not walking with God, right? So the standard is that God is in the light. And what we need to do, therefore, is walk in the light. But we experience on a daily basis this sin that so easily hinders our progress. So the question then is, how do we walk in the light? And that's our last point. Verse 8, the second if but if. It's where John gets terribly practical. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. What he says in verse 8, and here's the beautiful, beautiful truth. Walking with God is not that I don't sin anymore. That is not what it means to walk with our God. 
John says, if you think you're there, if you make the audacious claim that here, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm walking with God, I'm over here in the light, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, he says, you are a fool. And the truth is not in you. You are not living in the truth. You are not in the life because the truth is even as believers, we are all going to sin. He says that over and over again in chapter one. Walking with God is not sin management. Walking with God is not the ability to stop doing the things that you don't want to do and do all the things that you think you're supposed to do from God. I've tried this before. I've gone down that road and it's exhausting to continually, day after day, wake up, paint the smile on your face. I got to do my devotions. I got to help the old lady across the street. I can't cuss. I can't drink. I can't look at porn. I got to do the right things and not do the wrong things. And then I'll be following God. It's this constant game of catch-up that we're playing with God. And no matter what set of rules you put for yourself, no matter what your standard is, it's all law that we can never keep. And that will never get us into a relationship or fellowship with our Father. He says, that's not going to work. Sinless perfection, not on the table. If this, no. But if, and here's the most beautiful one, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Walking with God does not mean not sinning. It means confessing your sins when you do. Based on this verse, my favorite, the clearest definition for me of what it means to walk in the light is this. Walking in the light is living with no known unconfessed sin. Living with no known unconfessed sin. So every sin that you are convicted of, that the Holy Spirit brings onto your plate, that he shows to you, you confess it. So that, now the important thing, if this, is, if this is how we walk with God over here in the light, then what in the world does it mean to confess our sins? You need to clarify that. Well, the word confess in the Greek, it means to say the same thing as another, to agree. So, so what it means is what God would say about your sin, you say about your sin. That you would agree with God's perspective on the wrong that you've done. Because when you first hear this, it can easily, you can easily get a false idea of what this means. And this does not mean that if, if I murder someone, you know, I'm walking along, and I murder somebody. And I say, oh, sorry God, <laughs> I agree, that was a bad idea. All right, keep on going. And you continue in your murdering lifestyle. That, that is not what John is talking about here. That's, confessing is not just this verbal lip service to God. Yep, that was wrong. Oh, shouldn't have done that. Oh, wow. Sorry, God. I agree with you. Bad idea. That is not what confession means. And John Piper has a wonderful definition of it. He says, walking in the light means seeing things the way God sees them and responding the way he does. We walk in the light when we hate the sin we fall into and name it for the ugly thing it is and agree with God about it and turn from it. So what does this look like? We're walking along in the light. We're walking in an active relationship, walking by faith with God, and inevitably sin creeps up. And this thing enters onto your plate and the Holy Spirit shows you the sin. He goes, man, this is wrong. And I see it. It's exposed because the light exposes me for who I am, warts and all. I see it. I confess it. 
and say, God, that is destructive. That is ruining my relationship with this person. That, that's, that's destroying your fame, and that is that's dragging your name through the mud. I want no part of that. Take it from me. That, that's what godly sorrow, the sorrow that God has for sin, godly sorrow leads us to repentance. So we change our mind about that sin. So as we walk and he exposes it, we confess it. We give it to him. And this is what happens. Because this isn't it. This is not just, it's not our works. It's not just, if I keep confessing, then we're good. But here's why confessing works. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, this is conditional. If we do this, then this is what happens. If we confess, he is faithful and just. Faithful meaning he will do it every single time. It's something you can depend on, you can count on. He's faithful and just, which means he's right to do it. So what will he always do? What is he right to do? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we agree with God and see our sin the way he sees it, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. To forgive means to send it away, to remember no more. Now, why is it right of God when we clearly, we did something wrong? We did it. We are responsible. Why can he send it away and remember it no more? Because that sin's not on our account anymore. It's on Jesus' account. And because of Jesus' work for us on the cross, he doesn't have to hold that sin against us. It's been removed as far as the east is from the west. And it says he cleanses us of all wickedness. He removes the darkness from us to allow us to walk with God. This is not our own ability to purify ourselves. This is the cleansing work of the blood of Jesus working in us to put us in this position to continue in fellowship with God. Incredible, incredible work. And notice how it says to cleanse us from all wickedness. All wickedness. The beautiful thing about the cleansing work of Jesus is, is as we confess our known sins, he cleanses us of all the wickedness in our lives. Because here's the reality. There are a lot of sins that you and I are going to commit today that we're not even aware of. We are like an onion, and you continue to peel back the layers. If we saw all of our sin at the same time, I think we would just fall over dead. God is very gentle and faithful to show us today here's a sin I need you to look at. Tomorrow, here's another one. And that's the path of growth as we continue to peel back these layers and we look more and more like Jesus and less and less like rebels. So he cleanses us from all righteousness, or from all wickedness. And, and so, and I think it's important here, the same way that we came to Jesus for salvation is the same way that we walk with him. We come to him con confessing our sins, admitting that we're sinners, and that we need a savior. It's from faith to faith. The same way that we were saved is the same way that we walk with him. Now, we said that sin does not break fellowship with God, but I do want to be clear, and 1 John is very clear. We talked about this last week. If you are consistently walking over here in the darkness, and, and you never find yourself walking in the light where you are confessing the sin as it comes, if your conscience is never pricked, if you sin and it's just dead, like you don't feel anything, it does not bother you at all, and you continually walk in the darkness over a long period of time, 1 John says, and you're, you're probably not in a relationship with God to begin with. So yes, sin doesn't break relationship with God, but it can be an indicating factor that you never knew him. See, if I had red hair and 
a nose that looked completely different than my dad's and different skin complexion, very different mannerisms and behavior. After a while, I'd go, we might want to run some tests. Like, you might not be Scott's son after all. We spend enough time in the darkness, you start to say, does this person know God? Final if, but if. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and show that his word is no place in us once again. This is not a claim. This is the moralist. This is the person who compares himself with his neighbor and says, yep, doing pretty good. Living my life like I should. I'm walking in the light. Look at me. But he's not comparing himself to the true standard, to God and his law. And it's easy to make it look like we're doing okay. But he says the the person who claims that they are sinless blasphemes God. It says that God's a liar because it undermines the entire gospel. It says we're sinners and we need a savior. So we don't claim that we're sinless, but here it is. Verse 1 of chapter 2. But my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. This is beautiful. Three things here. I stole this from Pastor Larry's notes. The ideal. The ideal is that he says, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. Remember, one of the purposes revealed here in 1 John is that we will walk in holiness. The purpose of our growth as believers is that we will look like, walk like, love like Jesus. And I'm writing this to you so that you'll know how to walk in the light where God is and not sin. That's the ideal. But he says, let's come back to reality. The real deal is, but if anyone does sin, because inevitably every single one of us this week are going to sin. If we do sin, then the sure deal is this. We have an advocate. We have one right now in heaven actively interceding for our behalf. It says the ideal is that you don't sin. But when you do sin, we have an advocate. And Jesus pleads on our behalf before the Father. And he does not say, don't hold that against Justin God. He's a really good guy. You just got to give him a chance. He's got a good heart. No, he says, God, don't hold that against him. He has a desperately wicked heart, but I died in his place. And when you look at Justin, I want you to see my righteous works on his behalf. I took his sins and put them on my account, and in place I gave him my life, my righteousness. Forgive him and cleanse him based on who I am, not on who he is. The mark of a believer is not sinlessness, but sin consciousness. Being a believer does not mean that we never sin, that we're walking in the light and we never mess up. It means that as we walk in the light and sin comes across our door, it pricks our heart, it stirs our conscience, we know that it's not wrong, that we know that it's wrong, and we confess it. We see it the way God sees it, and we say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. John, the same writer who wrote 1 John in his gospel, he said this, God's light came into the world. He's referring to Jesus. Over here in the dark, he says, but people love the darkness more than the light. Why in the world would you prefer darkness over light? We said you can't see anything. You can't get where you're going. Why dark over light? He says, here's why. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. Why? For fear their sins will be exposed. He says, the reason people would be preferred to be over here in the dark instead of stepping into the light is that as I step into the light, you can see me for who I really am, and I can't play the game anymore. And people will judge me. 
and God will not accept me. So we prefer to stay over here hiding in the dark because when we step into the light, it shows that we're not God, that we're not good, that we're accountable to that God. So he says men just prefer to hide in the dark. We prefer the fig leaves. We prefer the mask. We prefer the games. But he says then in verse 21, but those who do what is right come to the light. Why? So others can see that they are doing what God wants. So you have two choices this morning. I have two choices. We can hide in the dark. We can hide from each other. We can pretend that we've got it all going on, that we are good. Or we can step into the light as God wants us to. And we can say, I'm a sinner. I mess up every day. I fall short. And to be bold and brave and honest with God and with each other, that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Finally, in verse 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Everything in this life revolves around the person and work of Jesus. Hebrews said he's the one that gave us our initial life in the first place. He's our creator. And then when we rebelled, he gave us his own life. <laughs> he traded us. And then, and then he became our substitute. He became our sacrifice. He became our righteousness. He became our life. He became our advocate. Jesus is our source for everything. If we want to have fellowship with God, it's through Jesus. And so the question this morning is, are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light? Are you hiding in the darkness and hope that people will accept you based on your own fake righteousness? Or are you stepping in the light? And, and I'll tell you a couple of practical ways that, that the Holy Spirit convicts us. Number one, through the word. As we open up the word, both together, corporately and, and, and on your own. And we come to it prayerfully. The Holy Spirit is going to be faithful to expose things in your heart. The word of God is active. It is alive. It is a sharp, two-edged sword that separates your soul and spirit. And as you go through that thing, it's going to shed light on who you really are. And also, to enter into real, honest, intimate, Jesus-accessed relationship with other believers, to where you're bold and brave enough, vulnerable enough to say, man, I messed up. And you confess that to another, or to come up to another person and say, I'm seeing this in your life. I think this needs to change. I could be wrong. That's an important phrase. I could be wrong. This is what I'm seeing, and I think you should stop looking at that. I think you should stop going there. I think you should start, stop interacting with that person. And we confess our sins to one another. But, but here's the last thing I want to say. The purpose of all of this is not, God doesn't say, come over here in the light so I can show you all your flaws, right? The point here is not to just undress you and just to continue to berate you with all the wrong things. The reason that we walk in the light is so that he can remove the sin that so easily hinders our progress so that why did he create us so that we could walk with him thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path the second purpose is to show us where we're going and where we're going the purpose of our lives the reason we were put on this planet was to know god and to walk with him are you hungry for that this morning when you, when you see sin creeping up in your life does it prick your conscience the beautiful truth is what we're called to do is not, is not never sin. That's not possible. It's to call it out for what it is, to be comfortably exposed in our sin, agreeing with God, seeing the sin as God sees it, and giving it over to Jesus to forgive us and cleanse us and continue to walk in the intimacy that Jesus has provided. Let's walk in the light, brothers and sisters. Father, 
We come to you this morning. We want to step out of the darkness. God, I don't want to hide in the shadows anymore. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to dress up the flesh. I don't want to put on show. God, I'm a sinner. And every morning, every day, I fall short. I think selfish thoughts. I do selfish things. I make it about me. I try to push you off the throne and sit on it myself. And, and, and every single day, I fall short of the glory of God. But Father, I pray that we would be a people who would be bold enough and brave enough to step into the light, to be comfortably exposed in our sins, and to find you there as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that it's exhausting to play the games. I pray that we would walk in the light where you are, acknowledging we are sinners and acknowledging we need a Savior. We thank you this morning that you have provided provided beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine in the person of Jesus. He is enough. He brought us into this relationship with you. He's the one that gave us the privilege of calling you daddy. He's the one that gives us the ability to walk with you on a daily basis. It is all about him. May we desire nothing else in our lives. May everything else be seen through the lens of your beautiful son. And it's in his name that we walk with you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.